I think there's such a narrative that boys are a problem to be solved and that they lose their humanity as they grow up through their often very turbulent teenage years. But I think for boys, there are these deeply rich emotional lives that are just sitting there waiting to come out. That's Hunter Johnson. Back in 2014, he and a mate created The Man Cave, a program that supports adolescent boys on their journey to becoming men. It was in response to the toxic culture they had all been exposed to over the years and wanting to change things for future generations. And we recognise that, you know, a lot of the challenges that we see in society, whether it's, you know, mental health, family violence, substance abuse, could actually be prevented if we worked at the root cause and actually supported boys in their fundamental years of development by using super diverse, super relatable role models. Since it started, the Man Cave has grown to reach more than 20,000 boys across Australia and is now established as a driving force ushering in a new era of positive masculinity. The key, I think, is giving um, particularly young men the tools of self-awareness because with self-awareness, they get to have a choice and they get to choose if they want to be someone that challenges systems of inequality or someone who contributes to them. There's no doubt the seeds being planted in young minds by the program are changing how the men of the future view themselves and each other for the better. And the massive effort in making it all happen has turned Hunter into the man he needed to be. A lot of healing for me personally, a lot of looking at my past and taking accountability and responsibility, which has been hard and messy. He's also found time to launch a personal care brand for men called Stuff to help take care of the outside as well as the inside. This is a chat about boys, men, and how we become who we are. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. This episode has been made possible by Kookaburra Homes, the home builder that cares about the community. Kookaburra is big on investing in local projects that better our society and is an awesome supporter of Youngblood's mission to improve the lives of young men and everyone in their lives by opening up these conversations that we need to have. Hunter, what did a real man look like to you when you were a teenager? Oh, a cracker to kick it off. Geez, a real man when I was a teenager was... Yeah, it was basically, or if I think about my model of success of being a man as a teenager was have the best banter, um, be the best at sport, uh, live for the stories of the weekend so that you could use that as social currency in the schoolyard, um, have a bit of a problem with authority, like really try to kind of prove my own masculinity and my own manhood, often through pretty risk-taking activities. I was a bit of a cheeky kid at high school um, and definitely pushed the boundaries. Like I was definitely a kid sneaking out of home and smoking ciggies in the back corner at the party. And um, Yeah, but it was all very much a performance is probably the catch. Um, Where do you think that came from, the motivation to feel like you needed to act out in that way? Yeah, I think the motivation to act like that, I think, was um, the culture that I grew up in in my school. So I, I went to um, kind of, yeah, it was an all-boys school. Uh, the school motto was to do the manly thing, which is uh, um, a bit cringeworthy now looking back on that. Um, but, you know, we were just a bunch of boys and we had a pretty competitive year. Um, and I think the model, again, I come back to what, what was success in our environment, and that was being the most alpha 
And then we would look for evidence around us, whether that was men in our lives, you know, social media was just starting then, uh, or sporting icons. And we would look to emulate those behaviors, probably unconsciously, if I'm honest. Mm. And with the school saying, do the manly thing, what do you reckon they meant by that? I think they tried to embody um, a, the, you know, a culture of respect. Yeah, it was really about being a man of character and values. But, you know, as I look back on that time, there are amazing things that I loved about my schooling experience. And there are also so many things that I think were a little bit outdated and a little bit twisted. I was fortunate school worked for me. You know, I like... It was, I was saying to someone yesterday, I'm like, I love school. It was just annoying that classes got in the way. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, yeah. What do you feel like you were actually taught about being a man when you were at school? So I guess there's two ways I'll answer that. One is from my family and another is from school. Um, so I'll start with school. Uh, I think, yeah, I, we were in a, it was like 240 kids in our year, which is really hard. If you think about school, you're trying to, create your identity and always looking to kind of protect yourself. And all you really want to do is belong. And, um, you know, I think school often the model for discipline or teaching at school is very punishment driven. Um, and so it's like, if you do something bad, there's no explanation or rehabilitation um, process, but it's you're a naughty kid, get outside. And then that becomes the pattern mm. uh, that, you know, I definitely lived into yeah, rather than digging deeper into the why of this and trying to treat that, it's just don't do that, you're doing that again, punish them. And that sort of band-aid fix pretty much guarantees that it'll, it'll keep happening because it's not addressing the, the core issue. That's it, and, and seeing the person behind the behaviour. Um, and, I, you know, we've at the Man Cave, which I'm sure we'll get into, worked with about 20,000 boys now. And one of the biggest insights that we see with teachers is they're so time poor, they're so overworked, um, they're not paid enough money. Uh, and so when they deal with conflict in the classroom, their bandwidth is so short that their go-to solution is get outside mm. opposed to actually understand who's the individual behind this behaviour and what's going on in their lives that might be resulting in them behaving this way. Mm. And that's what's really missing, I think. Yeah, and that's a big story and it's too much for one teacher or one person to take that on for every boy or girl in their class because it's really um it's about the the whole community and the whole history uh and the whole future of each individual kid um how did you remember wanting your peers to see you yeah it's a great question i remember wanting to just be seen as the man so the guy that um, you know, went to the parties and kissed the hottest girls, was playing up age groups in sport and still dominating. Nothing really phased him. Any challenge was like I could overcome. And the catch of that is I knew that I was leading a double life. Every time I was acting in this way, it was actually eating a part of me inside. And I didn't know how to get out of that until I had a, a really serious injury, which kind of woke me up a bit. What was going on behind the scenes? Yeah, I, I had, um, you know, my, my parents split when I was pretty young and my mum was with my stepdad for a while and um, we just had, you know, family challenges like I'm sure many families have. Um, you know, in my personal life, some of the most important men who have raised me, shaped me into the man I am today have gone through years of depression, um, anxiety and even suicidality. Mm. Uh, and then on the other side of it, some of the most important women in my life who have raised me and shaped me into the man I am have their own stories of physical or sexual abuse. And, um, you know, that, that culminates in a lot of pain 
And so for me, it was just as a teenager trying to navigate, you know, how do I survive my social structure at school um, whilst also, you know, dealing with things at home in, in a really respectful way, which was often pretty confusing and I got wrong. Did you feel like if you put on that front and you lived that identity, whether you felt at your core that it was who you actually were or not, that you would have to become that or that if you were seen in that light enough that that would be your reality? Was that sort of the thinking behind it or were you not that conscious of putting on that mask? No, it was definitely unconscious. Um, I think I'd never really questioned my social conditioning. Um, I think... Or, you know, I was worried about just trying to belong. And again, I can say that with, you know, in retrospect, but at the time it was just like, how do I be amongst the boys? Um, and at times would do that um, with, you know, uh, uh, against my own values at times. And I would, I would have to sit with the, you know, being a teenager is confusing enough. Um, but that was, yeah, that was it. I think, I don't think I was aware or awake enough. Mm. What did you get out of doing that though? What were the, the benefits of, conducting yourself that way i think it comes back to power and entitlement um and again i wouldn't have had the language for that but it would be this um, false sense of security and safety amongst the group of the boys and so what you get is you get invited to the parties you get picked in the sports team you get to sit with the cool kids at lunch um you know you, you have a bit of a reputation and at school the, the scary thing about that is that model kind of works to get through high school um, but it doesn't out in the real world, which, you know, I'm sure we both know many examples of guys in our networks who have continued tried to live in that way and either ended up in harming themselves or harming others. Did you feel like it was necessary at the time to be the, the cool guy or be the man that you had to do all of those things and tick all of those boxes? And I suppose looking back, do you think that was actually true? I guess that it, it comes back to I just wasn't aware enough and I didn't have any role models in my immediate bubble who could sit me down and be like, hey, man, here's what I'm seeing is going on. And I don't know if it's working for you. I'd love to just hear your point of view. Um, uh, you know, I was, yeah, it just, I just didn't have access to that. And so I kind of didn't know any other way of being. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but it always sat uncomfortable with me. And, but I, I also didn't know how to get out. So um, and again, if I come back to like just wanting to belong and wanting to kind of survive the, the structure I was in, I would often find ways to kind of, I guess, get, get more power. But again, it wasn't conscious. It was just like being amongst the boys and having the best banter. If someone pays me out more than I paid them out, I'd make sure, you know, I'd got them back a bit better. Yeah. Um, that, that's just how it was. That was the culture. And did being the alpha mean that you had to dominate your peers or you had to be putting yourself above others is that how it felt yeah i think so the irony behind it is the fragility of the masculinity that all it takes is one comment that says oh mate that's a bit gay or you know that's a bit like a girl or that's a bit weak as if those are negative things to completely derail the false sense of identity that was built mm. and then you have to live within a very strict set of rules to live up to this identity that you're trying to portray even though at that age you might not be fully aware that you're desperately trying to cling on to that or, or put that out there um, and it means that you have to live and talk and act in a very set sort of way that you can't venture out of lest you be judged and that be your sort of greatest fear which leads me to how are boys put in a box mm. 
Yeah, there's there's amazing research out there which you may have seen on on the man box, which is effectively like a certain set of invisible rules that have been handed to boys and men. And those invisible rules are what we are conditioned by, what we police others with and what we get validated for. And that things like emotional repression, sexual conquest, um, athletic success, financial success, um, homophobic um, behaviours, um, very rigid gender norms. The other one I'll add is, um, particularly in Australian context, like having the best banter. Um, you know, it's like if you can fit inside those rules, then um, you'll navigate a period of your masculinity okay, which is often in high school. But then what we find is those rules become limiting. And, you know, what we see is that boys have so much expression that just gets boxed in. And so we live these kind of suffocated lives mm. where really, you know, we want to tell our best mate how much we love him. And we don't want to wait till we're 10 years deep to do that. We want yeah. to walk up and no. But the way that we do that often is, oh, yeah, oh, mate, he's, you know, he's a dickhead, isn't he? Okay, I love him heaps. Yeah. So that's that's what I said. It's a very narrow confine, I think, of what we know it means to be a man. And there's, a, a, I think, a school of thought that if we do expand those rules, then we'll lose our masculinity completely. But my belief is that actually gives us more of our own humanity. And when we get those traits that might be, you know, boxed into more traditionally feminine traits. Mm. And then I guess sometimes a, a box can feel safe or it can give us direction as young men where we think, okay, well, this is how I'm supposed to act. So that's very simplistic for me. And if I can just fit within this, then I don't really have to ask the question anymore. But at the same time, that can also be a cage. And the word that you used, uh, suffocating definitely rings true where, uh, and in my own work with uh, young men in this space have found, well, what if I don't fit into that? What if a lot of those things that have just been made up as rules that for some reason I'm supposed to follow, they don't resonate with me or they go against my values, but the choice is between being accepted and, and being cool and being loved and getting that uh, positive affirmation or being excluded because I don't want to uh, portray or, or live up to a number of these things. And you're sort of between a rock and a hard place there. And I think that's how a lot mm. of young men can feel. But I guess my question is, who decided this box in the first place? Uh, who got to make those rules? And do we have to continue living within them? How do we, how do we uh, stretch the, the barriers or do away with the, the box altogether? Well, I think the first thing I'll touch on is what you end is like, we've got to be really conscious of not taking men out of one box and putting them in another. The key, I think, is giving um, particularly young men the tools of self-awareness because with self-awareness, they get to have a choice and they get to choose if they want to be someone that challenges systems of inequality or someone who contributes to them. Mm. So I think that's a really important piece, the awareness of our social conditioning and ourselves and where we fit into the social structures of the world means that we have an awareness around how we want to choose to engage with the world. I don't think there was one guy who was sitting there going, all right, this is the rules, everybody. Let's follow Cause, them. Because we've had a fair bit of that in history and people have uh, gone along with it. Yeah, well, you know, if I think about life is incredibly uncertain and our identity doesn't deal well with uncertainty. Uh, and so when we are given a blueprint or a model or a map, we like to follow it, even if it's to detriment of our own values or our own people. Sometimes. Yeah, because it's not as terrifying as not knowing and having to decide for yourself. 
that the absolute catch and what I've learned in my journey is it comes down to trust and love. And so if I can learn to trust the universe, then I get shown more gifts, more magic, more love. But that's just an endless loop of being like, oh man, I got to trust myself here again. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like you've read The Alchemist. <laughs> yeah, Paolo, old mate Paolo. Um, but I think to your point, you know, we're, we're at a point of, of evolution for masculinity where for the first time, I think there is a collective awareness that some of the rules that we've inherited from society that are from some, you know, really big cultural influences, whether it's, you know, in, probably in our line with our fathers and our grandfathers, it's the, the post-war man. Um, so post-World War II, what was the model of success? Um, you know, a man that stoically went off to fight for the country, went and exposed himself to a significant amount of trauma and then came home and was, you know, this modern, stoic, almost like a madman type character. Yeah, who, who didn't talk about it? Right, exactly. You just dealt with it. You sucked it up. You got on with it. You know, and there are so many times in life where we have to put our big boy pants on and pull our socks up and deal with life. You know, and, but there are also times where we need to have a choice where we open up and we do shed a tear. Well, it's about how we deal with it as well. It's inevitable that you'll have to deal with it, but I think the whole idea of dealing with it shouldn't mean, all right, well, I'm just going to shut down, bottle it up take care of it in my own head and not bring anyone else into it and actually the much more mature and effective way to deal with things a lot of the time is to be honest about them and bring other people into the conversation and that we as men can be far more effective if we we speak up we talk about how we're feeling what we're thinking share it with other people and actually let others into the picture and makes us actually more effective at being able to serve the people we love rather than just building up this sort of dark cloud within us that we can't let anyone else know about because we don't want them to think for a second that we don't have it all sorted out and that it actually ends up being so much worse. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the other side of that, which I don't hear discussed too often, is learning how to listen um, and not need to fix or judge or offer advice, but actually just genuinely listen because often... People just want to speak their truth and, you know, what they're looking for is that space just to be held or, you know, that follow-up question that's quite thoughtful and empathetic. And I think that's also what's, you know, I, I talk about this all the time with, with young men. It's like they share something quite vulnerably with one of their mates and their mate, it's, it's like a visceral reaction. We'll just pay them out or have a bit of banter. And so what do they learn in that moment? Well, don't share. It's like putting your hand up in class. You know, you go, this is the answer. You get it wrong. Everyone laughs at you. What do you learn? Don't put your hand up in class. So I think it's equally important in the discussion that we need to start encouraging boys and men to speak up. I think there's enough kind of conversation about that. What I'd love to hear more conversation. What are the environments we're creating where we know how to empathetically listen and be with someone and, you know, ask if it's appropriate follow-up question just to let them know that they're seen and they're okay. Mm. And instilling that maturity in boys when they're so young and their brains are 10 years away from being developed and they're going through the pressures of all these things being thrown at them for the first time. I mean, it's it's impressive enough for a fully grown man to be able to come to terms with themselves and start speaking about those things. It can be the hardest thing in the world for us to do when we're adults, let alone when we're still developing as kids. But I suppose part of the mission is how do we take the cool group in year eight and make them think that adding to you know being good at sport and having fun at parties and 
uh, cracking good jokes. How do we add in? Oh, yeah, and it's cool to actually ask people every now and then how they're going and actually listen to them and make that cool rather than uh, weak or or something to take the piss out of. Like, how do we manage the the banter with the actual being real and realizing that that is where the gold mm. and the deep connection lies? Because it's not about like, all right, do away with the banter and do away with all the negative behaviors and all the traditional things about being a man are wrong. Because that's the other side of the spectrum that we also don't want to dip into you know there's nothing wrong with being strong and being physical and being assertive and wanting to provide and all those great things about being a man which are necessary we've got to also say we've got to encourage those things um but we've got to also uh discourage or want to do away with some of the more toxic elements but uh yeah it's not so simple as all right well the uh, the old way of thinking was completely wrong, and the new way of thinking is is completely right. And anything outside of that, because like you said, that's a new box, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think for me, it's giving the range. You know that you know on some days or some moments, you know you're funny, you're witty. The next moment, you're playful and you're curious. The next moment, you're stoic and you're strong. So I think we just need to expand that range so that they have choice across the spectrum. Um, and again, for me, it just comes back with, with self-awareness, role modeling, and then often permission and then practice. That's it. And I think if we can create environments where young men can practice developing this emotional muscle, then it becomes, it's like going to training for sport. It's the same thing. You're cultivating your emotional literacy, your ability to be able to uh, pick moments that are safe to share, and then also how to be there and hold others when they need it too. Yeah, and I suppose empowering men to know that we actually decide what a real man is to us. Um, that's not given to us and there's no one specific answer. That's actually up to us to decide what we want to be and who we want to live up to and that only we can actually choose that. It's not thrust upon us. I think that that's something that seems to have been powerful in the young men that I've spoken to that, or that they had considered for the first time that, actually what a real man is is what you decide is who you want to be and yeah there are some things that we all sort of commonly agree that we want to embody but it's it's largely up to you yeah i I agree and my addition to that is you know the elders play an incredibly important role and i think it you know the one of my favorite quotes that I've heard from uh, a mentor of mine, Dr. Arnold Rubenstein, is um, the role of the elder is to create the space for the glorious mistakes of the young. <laughs> to create the space for the glorious mistakes of the young. And I love that, you know, and I know when I've been in the presence of elders or mentors, there's a patience there, there's a security there, but there's also a really healthy level of challenge where they've called me up into my masculinity or my manhood. And I think, you know, particularly with the conversations that are going on around consent right now in the Australian landscape, you know, there is a real absence of parents and parents being held accountable for this too. It's been outsourced, you know, a child's moral and character development has been outsourced to schools. And it's like, no, 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 this starts at home and then schools are in addition to this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I think is we need to continue exposing our young men to diverse, healthy role models. And the reality is with teenagers, when they're kind of 12, 13, 14, they break away from their parents and they seek to find their identity elsewhere, which used to be from the village, the community, the church, the mosque, the synagogue, um, and now it's social media. Yeah. 
And so, you know, our model, and it sounds like what, what your model is too, is, um, you know, that's also traditionally where the uncles and the aunties have come in to teach certain life lessons in those kind of 12, 13, 14 year old years. Um, but with no rite of passage or no initiation into the next stage of their life, there's kind of this delayed adolescence where our team, we see these kind of man babies, uh, which, you know, I've got mates who are still living like that, you know, and we kind of laugh about it, but it's, it's quite serious. There's a delayed level of accountability and responsibility in their lives. And what we need more than ever now is men who are accountable and responsible for their own stuff and, and want to contribute to their communities too. And so that's what our model is at the Man Cave. And that connection to community is so huge for young men, but everyone in life. And I suppose it's not only having our boys find their identity within one particular subculture, be that sport or whatever they're doing out of school, but finding a way to show them a spectrum of life and communities and have them be connected to more than just one group with one particular ideology which can become very firm and set in their mind and then they become that as an identity with no real way of seeing outside of it i think that's particularly uh, pertinent for people who sort of live for sport as i used to when i was a teenager and i know you used to as well what did the athlete identity give you Oh, I, there's so many things I love about the athlete identity. You know, it's, it's discipline, it's resilience, it's um, understanding different people and characters and teams and dynamics and routine, um, as well as just working towards a collective goal or vision. Um, and I think, you know, I've learned more from losing in sport than I have from winning. And I think, again, that is such, such a fundamental thing, as well as, you know, taking care of my body. You know, we talk about mental health, but, you know, you and I both know it's about holistic health. And um, I think valuing what I eat um, and how often I exercise, the different ways I exercise, um, listening to my energy internally, um, you know, they, they all add up into my, my well-being. And, and so I, I got that from sport. And I think also the understanding that you have to get up and make stuff happen and it doesn't happen overnight and it's about the process of continually showing up i think that's something that transfers over into other areas of life that i certainly got out of that um what do you how do you feel like you suffered from that identity though as a kid yeah i think i agree with what you just shared earlier around over identifying with the subculture um i think for me, like the ultimate thing when I was at school was playing, I, I went to school in Sydney and rugby union was like the thing and playing for the first in rugby would get, you know, up to five, 10,000 people to big games. And so that was like the goal of what was success and what it meant to, to really kill it at school. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think over identifying with that very limiting stereotype meant that I didn't get to express and explore um, parts of myself that I'm on a journey of reclaiming back now. Like I remember in year nine, I topped the grade in art and one of my mates goes, oh, mate, that's a bit gay. And I dropped art the next year. But it wasn't even like a conscious thought. It wasn't like I was triggered by that majorly, but it was just like, oh, I can't do that. That's a rule that's enforced. Yeah. So, you know, as I said, a big part of my journey now is going and doing art. And I went to like a stand-up comedy course at NIDA uh, recently. Oh, and cool. When we were sitting around in like the initial check-in circle, they were like, so why is everyone here? And uh, the people were like, well, you know, people say I'm funny. I've always wanted to be a comedian. 
And I was like, everything in my identity says don't be here. And I just know it's going to be really healthy for me to explore and embrace those parts myself. Yeah, and it's just making the uncomfortable comfortable and leaning into those sorts of fears that we have. Yeah, I fully understand that. But that's not what we naturally want to do. We want to play to our strengths and uh, keep doing and improving in the things that we're already really good at because we can show other people how good we are and be in those environments where we feel totally comfortable because we're great at whatever the thing is and so we get that respect Mm -hmm. i had experienced that in the last year and a half i went to learn self-defense and i do that still now doing um krav maga and i felt the same way like totally out of my comfort zone initially feeling that my not knowing how to do that totally attacked my identity of because i you know i've been into the gym for a lot of years and i value having a and a, a physical presence and everything and then going there and realizing that you had zero idea how to protect yourself or throw a punch or any of that um the initial feeling you get is like oh i'm less of a man because of this and everyone here is seeing how much less of a man i am uh and and then I've, i just think that's sort of the initial knee-jerk reaction that would make some people or maybe it'll be dancing for another example some sort of skill like that where men would feel so much like a fish out of water and like they're supposed to be good at something straight away and if you're not good at it then you're better off running away from it and pretending like you don't want to do it <laughs> or acting like anything like anything like that uh, but then over time if you stick at it you realize that like no one no one cared or thought that at all that was all sort of <laughs> that was all sort of in your head what did it do to you though when when that was taken away when that identity got uh ruptured by a by an injury yeah i uh, i think um that was pro- so I, I broke my leg playing rugby. Um, I had dreams of playing professional that whole world, and um, yeah, ended up being a, a compartment syndrome in my leg. So bone broke inwards, uh, and ended up being six operations: a metal rod, four screws, two skin grafts, two blood transfusions. Uh, but the worst was there was about a ninety percent chance I wouldn't be able to run again. And, you know, it just completely shattered me. And, you know, I didn't have the words vulnerable, but I definitely knew the words terror. And that's what I felt. Uh, And, yeah, I look at it now as my get out of jail free card. And it allowed me to kind of take a look at who I was showing up, how I was showing up and who I was, and actually get to press refresh on that identity. And I'm really fortunate to grow up in a family, with have family values that really supported me through that. And I particularly got left with a comment from my uh, my grandfather who said to me, you're that good at sport. Imagine if you could push that into something a little more meaningful. And uh, it was pretty hard to swallow at the time. I was like, mate, this is the worst thing that happened to anyone ever. Um, but it was just a comment that sunk. And uh, it wasn't like things changed overnight, but it just kind of tilted me five degrees. And I think that kind of five degrees has compounded over, over the years. And I'm really grateful it happened because it, it also, not only the loneliness, but the pain and the patience that was required to heal from that was quite extraordinary. And I now I just know that I have that range in me when I do come up against challenge or adversity too. Mm. Do you think about who you might have been had that not happened? Yeah, yeah. Not too much anymore. I used to. I used to wonder. And I'm like, wow. Like, imagine, like, that's my thing about these, like, child you know, young stars who get thrust up into the sporting headlights. I'm like, you're, you're going through your whole development under the microscope. And, you know, we develop our players professionally, but we don't develop them emotionally. And suddenly they've got all this responsibility. They've got all this money. 
Um, they've got all this like um, attention and we're wondering why they're making the mistakes that each of us has made anyway. We just didn't make it under the spotlight. Yeah. And, and they're uh, and they're at the absolute stratosphere and the top end of that culture. And yeah, we get shocked when they get caught out for drug use or some sort of scandal or whatever. And it's like society expects, oh, because this guy's great with a football, he should be the perfect role model as well. And it's, it's sort of unfair. I guess it sort of comes part and parcel with the game. But yeah, we think of them as some sort of superheroes or whatever and they're just guys who are really good at this one thing and and they're humans athletes who have made it um, often come from really challenging backgrounds and so haven't necessarily had the privilege to grow up in a family home that talks about values that talks about your morals that talks about what's your purpose mm. uh, they see the model of success for getting out of there is making it in sport and um, then when they do make it suddenly there's all this expectation wrapped around it and so Again, like where's the where's the healing or the rehabilitation? We just tend to like kind of cancel them or throw them out. It's like, wow, there's a massive opportunity. Yeah, that story is just on cycle. Yeah, and that's that's the box again, isn't it? Uh, a, a sort of a different one, but that societal expectation. And it's like, where do you draw the line between seeing people as humans and realizing that no one's perfect and actually not throwing them away, working on them, redeveloping them, and then having them have a better story than they would have ever had otherwise and then they become a role model but still we're at a point in society clearly where we're like oh that's that's past the mark but yeah that's just yeah it's an interesting line that we that we draw what was the trigger that made you and your mates uh, want to address masculinity at large so i started the the man cave uh with jamin heppel uh so it would have been 2014 i think we were just chatting and <laughs> we shared our own life stories and we're actually running kind of two similar uh, social change programs through sport at the same time. And uh, we had an opportunity to run something for young men specifically. We're running mixed gendered programs and we just sat down and we were like, let's talk about and share our own stories around what our life was like. And they, although, you know, he grew up in Lee and Gatha, which is like a um, beach town, um, uh, beach country town down in, in Victoria. And I grew up in Sydney we actually had remarkably similar stories and we recognise that, you know, a lot of the challenges that we see in society, whether it's, you know, mental health, family violence, substance abuse, could actually be prevented if we worked at the root cause and actually supported boys in their fundamental years of development by using super diverse, super relatable role models who um, boys were inspired to be like. Uh, and that was the, the infancy from... Yeah, and just people we really cared about going through a lot of pain. We just thought we wanted to do something about it. And how did you go about turning that idea into reality? Because not a simple thing you're talking about there. And one thing to have an idea, another thing to turn it into what you've turned it into. So how did you approach that? Yeah, the, it's so hard, man. And like, you know, even imposter syndrome in this space too, you know, it's like there's such a... I feel this kind of, particularly in the early days, I'm like, who am I to be doing this? Like, you know, I haven't been perfect and like suddenly I want to change and my mates being like, mate, we know who you really are. You know, just a bit of cheeky banter there, but it, it plays on my mind. And so um, we, we just caught up for like six weeks, um, three nights a week and just mapped out what would it look like to create a safe space for boys just to take off the mask. That's it. So we create the space, they can take off the mask, let the group do the work with their authentic authenticity, and then just give them some tools so that they know where to go afterwards. 
And um, we ran the first six workshops at um, a town which is nicknamed the ice capital of, of Victoria. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we had a teacher come in at the end and was like, listen, I haven't seen the hallways lit up like this. Whatever you are doing, it's working. And she picked up this post-it note that was on the um, – yeah, it was on the table and it had written, thanks for the lesson, man. It really shows me what it looks like to be a real man and signed off a kid's name. And she goes, he was just anonymously voted as the school's biggest bully last week in this anonymous survey we did. So the fact that you got through to him, keep doing what you're doing. And I, I still have that posted note up in my room today. So, yeah. And what is the program based on, like with the, the, the consultation beforehand and, I suppose I know schools are um, very diligent in the programs they allow to run and obviously they have a lot of interests to take care of. How do they vet what you guys do or how did you get it across the line, especially in the early days to say that, yeah, well, this isn't going to do harm? Yeah, it, it was, it's definitely been a journey because schools are inundated with services and, you know, do they need another one? Who knows? But, you know, I think there, there was absolutely a gap in the market when we started this in 2014 um, that just was a program that didn't speak at boys but actually spoke with boys. So what we do is not um, present presenting. So we don't come in with a 45-minute PowerPoint presentation and try to fix masculinity what we do is do facilitated experiences over minimum of full day. So, um, yeah, so for us, it, it, early days, it, it took um, a few personal relationships and then um, to get a foot in the door, do a really good job, really look to cultivate the relationship with that school and then tell powerful stories. You know, I think storytelling is our one of the most powerful currencies we have for social change and, and for impact. And the more stories we got, the more it kind of snowballed and then, um, yeah, we, we've now kind of worked to a position where we are working with about 15,000 boys this year um, and programs are, are fully booked out. Um, so we're now looking at if our model is service delivery, which is so tough to scale because you're managing your quality whilst increasing the quantity. Yeah. We're now looking at how do we, um, what, what role does digital play, what role does train the trainer play, uh, and so we've started something called the Man Cave Academy, which is around training facilitators, youth workers, um, educators, parents in what we do so that they can do it in their communities in their way. And what's the past seven years shown you about boys? I think there's such a narrative that boys are a problem to be solved. They're tough and that they lose their humanity as they go up through their often very turbulent teenage years. But I think for boys, there are these deeply rich emotional lives that are just sitting there waiting to come out. You know, we run programs all the time and a guy will be like, this bloke's been my best mate for five years and I've just learned more about him in five minutes than five years of our friendship. Or, you know, mum's emailing in going, my kid's gone through five years of seeing a psychologist and he's got more out of the man cave because he finally realised he wasn't alone. You know, and so what I think is often boys just need the, the, the language, the safe space and the permission to lean into their authenticity and then I think they're, they're set, you know, and I think it obviously it takes practice and it takes time and it takes role models they look up to but I think we just, if we give them that space, they will absolutely take it and that there is, you know, an absolute army of young men out there who want to make the world a better place. And we don't see that narrative very often in society or in the media. Yeah, don't underestimate boys. 
Uh, how has all of this shaped you going on this journey? Yeah, geez. I think um, a lot of healing for me personally, a lot of looking at my past and taking accountability and responsibility, which has been hard and messy and still going. Um, um, but I think it's brought out the best in me. It's, you know, I think I've been allowed to follow my values. I've been allowed to be surrounded by people who I think are smarter and better than me. And that brings out the best in me. Uh, and then I just love a challenge. So it plays to some of those, you know, I think coming back to the sport conversation, what I developed in sport, I get to apply, you know, in an avenue that I think and I hope makes the world a better place. Mm. Um, yeah. Are you the man you thought you wanted to be? As a teenager? No, definitely not. I, uh, I think I will, you know, I, I don't know. I got to you know is the answer. I think I'm proud of who I am um, now, um, which is, you know, if that's been a journey even to say that. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I didn't know what I was doing existed. Um, but I think what I am proud of, like I'm about to turn 30 tomorrow, and one of the things I'm going to write myself is a letter to when I'm 40, uh, for when I'm 40 and someone goes, oh, what do you want to be? And I'm like, I think I'm going to frame it around who I want to be. You know, what are the qualities I want? How do I want to be showing up? Um, how comfortable am I with what I'm doing in the world and what impact am I having it will be the, the lens. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. How are future generations of boys going to be different? So for me, there's... there's two things. One is the um, more emotional range in our young men's lives. Um, so I think the models that they've inherited around masculinity are now at a point of evolution um, where there is a lot of kind of pressure points for things to change. And I think they will step into that change and really have more emotional range, which means that they can be better people for themselves and the people they care about. And then I think the second thing is around their professional choices in their life. I think there'll be an absolute groundswell of young men, but also young people who are choosing to pursue business ideas that make the world a better place from a, a social point of view, but also an environmental point of view and asking them self questions like, is this profit driven or is this impact driven? Um, so I think that's what's ahead. And are we going to make vulnerability a strength? Yeah, I'm always really conscious with vulnerability. I think sometimes it gets sold as the silver bullet that fixes masculinity. Um, and I think vulnerability is a strength, but I also comes with an asterisk that it is part of the emotional range that I'm talking about. And, you know, whether you want to call it vulnerability or authenticity, the catch is that when we step into those powers, it actually brings connection and connection is why we are here. It brings meaning and it brings purpose to our lives. And so if we can cultivate those skills from a young age, just like learning to ride a bike or learning a new language, it becomes part of how the skills we use in our day-to-day lives. Mm. And what's inspired you to start a personal care brand? Why not just uh, rest on your laurels? Because it seems like you've achieved a lot already. Yeah, I think brands shape culture. And I think, you know, if I think about the narratives that probably we grew up with, with, you know, brands like Lynx, which is spray yourself and a flock of gorgeous women will come chasing you. And it's like, we kind of laugh at that, but that's the belief system that our boys are unconsciously consuming. And then, you know, that does lead into things like objectification and how we treat others. 
And so for me, I think there's such an opportunity to create a more modern, relevant, authentic brand, which we've called Stuff. So we didn't want it to be too virtue signaling or too woke, but just something simple. Um, so Stuff, which, you know, represents a new age masculinity. And how we've designed it is that Man Cave, which is our charity, is a majority shareholder in Stuff. So it's a purpose-driven business. So absolutely, it's about being a commercial product. It's a quality product, but also it has a social purpose of heart that can, you know, ideally um, fund the man cave. And what messages is stuff going to put out there for for boys? So one of the um, activities we do in our programs is an activity called Anonymous Questions, where we get boys to write down on post-it notes, what are the things that they really want to talk about that they've never had the space to, they've never had the language, they've never had the permission we scrunch them up, throw them in the middle, we'll pull it out and then we'll talk about those topics. And they're pretty edgy topics. You know, it's things like, I've got an addiction to porn. Does anyone else? Or, hey, I'm questioning my sexuality. Does anyone else? Or my parents are going through a divorce. Or, hey, I just picked up my dad's phone yesterday and I saw he got a message that, um, and it looks like he's cheating on my mum. And so it's all anonymous, but these are the inner worlds that boys are going through. And we'll often speak to them. The cool thing is we now have those post-it notes um, uh, from the boys with their permission that we are now using to push out as content for stuff. So really it's kind of accessing the unfiltered attitudes, belief systems and questions of, of our young men and then we're using the content to kind of speak to that. And I think coming back to what we said earlier, it's an incredibly uncertain time and a confusing time for what it means to be a man. And, and the purpose statement of stuff is to be a brand that supports men through a new era of masculinity. And for me, it's not like, you know, again, the virtue signaling or anything like that. It's just, hey, we're walking alongside you through this and we're going to do this through exposing you to positive, diverse role models who just show different and diverse ways on how to be a man. So stuff's really saying just be who you are. Be who you are and make that, make that cool. Mm. That sounds awesome, man. Sounds real cool. Uh, well, thanks, man. Thanks so much for your time. A tremendous journey that you've been on from where you came from to where you are now and, and such an unexpected path that you've taken, but obviously seems like where you were meant to be um, from, from where you sit now and that's sort of the only bit, the beginning of the story. Yeah, it's just great to see someone who obviously lives their passion in this space is the kind of person that others need to look up to and uh, i love that you've been doing it for this this long but you still pretty much can't keep the smile off your face uh when you're talking about it and obviously it means so much to to you and that's something that really resonates with me as well i think we need leaders like yourself to lead by example and um, show the men of tomorrow and and today sort of another way of going about things so just want to acknowledge you for the the work you you do and and the man that you are Mm, hey, that means a lot. I actually got a bit emotional listening to that. Um, and I just want to acknowledge you, man. Like, I think it's, you know, it's an incredible platform um, that you've created. And it clearly it feels like an extension of, of you in this. And I think, you know, putting yourself time and time again um, out there for others to, you know, effectively democratize everything from mental health to masculinity is a really generous act mate. and um, i'm very grateful for the opportunity to, to share this with you thanks brother yeah it's all about it's all different pieces of the same puzzle i feel you know there's the the in-person stuff there's getting to people as a preventative health measure when they're younger uh, and then when they're older and just finding ways to uh, 
compile this message and put it down as many avenues as possible so that eventually uh, as the years go by we start to arrive in a different world and i think we'll get there if you're a fan of the work we're doing or have a suggestion for the show please rate us on apple podcasts and leave a comment you can follow young blood men's health matters on facebook instagram and youtube and visit our website youngbloodmedia.com.au to stay up to date And most importantly, if this conversation resonated with you, share it with someone you love and start a conversation of your own. A huge thank you to our local business supporters who've joined our mission to change the lives of young men for the better and help make this possible. We're all in it together. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.